and welcome to The Tool Belt, a podcast designed to equip you with the tools you need to improve maintenance and reliability at your facility. I'm your host, Plant Services Own Alexis Kajewski, and in this podcast, we'll focus on new ways to manage, maintain, and automate your facility through in-depth interviews with a variety of subject matter experts and industry insiders. In today's episode, Thomas Wilk sits down with Mara Hitner, Director of Business Development for MatterHackers. Mara's mission is to empower, enable, and equip everyone to create our future by turning the ideas they have into the things they use via desktop 3D printers, CNC machines, and laser cutters. Before we begin, I have a few quick announcements. Are you taking advantage of your unplanned downtime? Step up your skill set by watching the Plant Services collection of on-demand webinars. Our webinar library offers more than 150 on-demand webinars featuring top industry pros. Catch up on industry trends and best practices in the break room, at home, or on your commute. Finally, we recently launched the Plant Services Downloadables Library, which contains the latest market research, reports, and white papers you need to decrease downtime and improve metrics at your facility. Organized by type and topic, the library offers insight and advice from experts throughout the industry and across verticals. Without further ado, here's today's discussion. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Plant Services, the Tool Belt podcast. Today we've got an uh, extra special speaker. It's Mira Hittner, and she's the Director of Business Development for Matter Hackers, an Orange County-based company founded in 2012, and they supply 3D printing materials, tools, and printer control software to the market. Mira, thank you so much for being with us today. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, and we got connected through a mutual friend who was showcasing some of the work that Matter Hackers was doing in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, especially the Maker Response Hub. Maybe we can start a conversation with you talking a little about the Maker Response Hub itself, sort of what it is and how it emerged from this current moment. Sure. Um, well, we started Maker Response Hub. It's been about, oh, a big five weeks now into our endeavor. And um, it was really in response to our community. So as you said, Matter Hackers were the largest 3D printing retailer. And um, we started seeing in the community that there was a few 3D printed designs um, for people that wanted to help with this um, terrible situation that we're in with uh, COVID-19 and with the uh, shortage of um, personal protective equipment in the hospitals. And we started seeing some of the designs that people were coming up with that were 3D printable on desktop 3D printers. And I actually, you know, our customers come from different places. Uh, some of our customers actually are hospitals. Um, they normally use 3D printers to um, print pre-surgical models, for example, to sort of practice uh, the surgery before they actually do it. So I have some contacts already at hospitals, and I uh, was talking to one of them, and they had this file for a door pull that uh, they had designed, and uh, so that you know it was a no-contact kind of uh, door handle. And she's like, yeah, I'm trying to print as many of these things as I can, but I just can't print them fast enough. And I'm like, oh, well, you're in Pennsylvania. I know a makerspace in Pennsylvania that's got tons of printers. Why don't I, like, hook you guys up and they can print for you? And that's uh-huh. kind of how this all started. Um, so, you know, being matter hackers, we kind of, we know where all the 3D printers are. 
So we started an online hub where people can sign up. Um, either I have 3D printers and I want to use them to help, or I'm a medical facility and I need 3D printed things. And it's just kind of blown up from there. Today we have uh, over 4,700 volunteers wow. who have raised their hands and said that they want to use their 3D printers. You know, 3D printers right now are idle. Schools that have 3D printers are closed. A lot of businesses, unfortunately, are non-essential, so they've had to shut down. And they've got walls of 3D printers, and they want to use them to help. So it's over it's almost 15,000 3D printers, I think, or 14,000 3D printers that have been signed up on our hub to help. And they've all just been printing. Yeah, they've been printing uh, mostly face shields, um, the visors for the face shields, but Mm -hmm. also some of these uh, mask extenders that we're starting to see designs for. And um, it's just been remarkable. We've we've never seen anything like it. And you sent a press release about this effort. on April 5th, and even since then, that's 4,000 more 3D printers that have been added to the list. That's tremendous. That is just tremendous. Yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, it's kind of like I mean, at this point, we've we've sent uh, we've donated over 15. We just sent our 15,000th um, 3D printed uh, visor, uh, 3D printed face shield to uh, hospitals, and we only ship to hospitals that have requested. You know, I want this amount, this number of this particular model in this material, and we agree to disinfect it when it shows up, because um, these mm-hmm. are all, you know, just volunteers. Um, but we've shipped over 15,000 pieces um, to 53 different facilities across the country, and um, you know, it's 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 like 3D printers, like all of us with these 3D printers, businesses, schools, individuals, small businesses. We've been here for a few years um, and just kind of almost waiting for someone to to call us into action um, and really like give us a purpose. And as soon as uh, the community saw this opportunity to help and started making these designs that were very easily printable um, in inexpensive material with uh, inexpensive machines, we're talking about like the, you know, sub five six thousand dollar machines some of them are are, are under a thousand dollars so you know what 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 these 3d printers might lack in uh, speed individually we make up for in sheer numbers and accessibility so we really found right. something that we were able to do this sort of distributed localized on-demand 3d printing and uh, just it was it was an amazing um, uh, proof of concept of something that we've been saying we could do for years, but uh, we never really had a, a chance to prove it, and I wish it were under better circumstances. Um, but the fact that we could all band together as a community in an emergency has mm-hmm. just been, it's been incredible to watch. Well, and when we spoke a little bit last Friday, you mentioned this sort of specific historical moment again, that you were keeping pretty long hours, and part of that was because at this moment, there's an urgency, and at some point, that immediate moment is going to let up. But for now, there's a need and a demand for it. Exactly, and and that's the thing is like this. We we all know that the 3D printed PPE is a stopgap. Um, if you know, it's it's almost like a mass production of prototypes. You know, we're we're already starting to see um, some of these designs being injection molded and and being made. You know thousands and thousands a day, which is what is needed, and, that, and that's what should happen. 
um, until, of course, the regular PPE gets back into uh, gets back into circulation. But again, just kind of looking at what we've been able to accomplish, because it's not just matter hackers. Like you know, we've we've shipped 15,000 pieces, but there are organizations, grassroots organizations across the country and and around the world that are just shipping thousands and thousands of these, all by uh, volunteers, all by donation only, people using their, their own time, their own money, their own materials to, uh, to pitch in. And, um, and it's just really, it's really shown what we can do quickly in an emergency. And, you know, to be honest, we all, you know, of course we all know that this is, uh, that, that the need for 3D printed stuff for this particular application will end, and hopefully sooner rather than later, Right. But it's, uh, you know, the, the hub, for example, um, I think is going to be really useful moving forward for the next, you know, whether it's the next emergency, um, being able to respond quickly to needs like a hurricane or, you know, fires, uh, something like um, what happened in Puerto Rico or Haiti, where, you know, maybe somebody designs a little bracket to help fix the solar panels or something to that effect. And until we can go and get them injection molded, Maybe this group can, you know, do a couple thousand, a couple of hundred thousand of these little pieces and really make a difference um, and kind of help with that design process and help to, um, to get solutions moving until, you know, we've kind of figured out a solution and are able to, um, to mass produce them. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because one of the things that we've looked at in plant services recently is the importance of a response plan on the part of our readers who are primarily maintenance and reliability professionals. Um, part of their job is to help guide the sourcing of parts and equipment, of course, uh, help manage inventory. And um, more and more when you see things like, say, the, the COVID-19 pandemic disrupting the supply chain, and you see things such as what happened last September where you had a drone bomb a Saudi Aramco facility, um, the response plan is crucial in mitigating risk for that company. And as you say, I mean, there's going to be a time when operations can return back to normal. But in the meantime, organizations like this, the uh, uh, like Make the Response Hub, are going to be something that can fill that gap, fill that need, um, um, and help drive even quicker recovery. Yeah, I think so. And I think we can also potentially start to, to see how it can be used on a small scale. Um, one of the things that I think is absolutely, I mean, all of it is incredible, but, um, you know, some of our customers that are businesses um, that have, you know, 10, 50, 100 3D printers that they use for their regular business, for example, um, Gantry in, uh, in the San Francisco area, um, they make 3D printed lamps, and they, that's their normal thing is that they have 100 printers going making these lamps. Well, when this, you know, when this tragedy hit, um, they were they had to shut down. They're not an essential business, but right. they were able to completely retool. I mean, I say retool. There's actually no tooling, of course, in 3D printing, um, <laughs> which is why we can pivot so quickly. Um, but you know, they were completely they, they were able to um, to pivot their production literally in days to be able mm. to print hundreds of these uh, face shield parts every day yes. and then you know work with matter hackers to ship those to um to places that need it we've seen that with architecture firms in new york we've seen that with some um, etsy shops that have 20 printers you know low cost couple of hundred bucks per printer and they're able to pivot 
their production so quickly. And so when you think about a response plan, even, when, even within a, a company or, or you know, on, a, on a shop floor or in a plant, if there's an emergency within the company and they have these 3D printers in-house, I know a lot of companies are still outsourcing their printing, and sometimes that's absolutely appropriate. But if, you, if they do have those 3D printers in-house, they can pivot their production in hours to be able to respond to an emergency, whether that's internal or um, national or somewhere else in the world. Well, you know, let, let's imagine it was January of this year or let's look forward to like August, September. Talk about Matter Hackers itself. Um, can you tell us more about um, the company and how you got involved or how they found you? Yeah, it feels like I have to remember back of what we what we used to do. This has been uh, such a twenty four seven thing for the past few weeks. Um, like you said, I mean the whole comp- the whole yeah. community has just been you know running literally twenty four seven because that's the schedule that these people in the hospitals are working. So if they're working, I'm working. Um, yeah. But you know, under normal run of things in peacetime, um, MatterHackers.com <laughs> is where you can go to. Um, to see what's new with um, desktop 3D printers and materials, um, businesses and schools um, and major global corporations. They like to work with us because we are completely agnostic. So we sell over 70 different uh, types of 3D printers, brands, um, and uh, over 2,000 different kinds of materials. And that's everything from your standard you know, PLA or uh, ABS to composites like um, nylon with carbon fiber, nylon with Kevlar. Uh, we even have a, um, a stainless steel, uh, BASF uh, stainless steel product that you can actually print stainless print um, models in, stain, uh, in stainless steel uh, from your desktop 3D printer for you know, a couple of, couple of thousand dollar printer. Um, so businesses like working with us because we can kind of help you know, if you're new to 3D printing or if you want to expand your fleet People come to us and they're like, yeah, well, here's what I want to do, but I don't know which printer or which material is going to be right for me. Matter Hackers is a perfect place to go because we sell so many different, different uh, brands and we're completely agnostic. So we help to um, guide people through getting their printer and um, making sure they have the right materials and the right machines. Um, and then we have free phone and email support for everything that we sell. Um, we offer all sorts of discounts for uh, schools and nonprofits, um, very, very active in um, workforce development and training. So we're really just, uh, you know, our, our whole uh, motto is uh, to enable anyone to make anything. And between the 3D printers that we carry, then we also have some desktop laser cutters, um, laser engravers, vacuum formers, and CNC machines. Whatever it is that you need to make, we are here to help you do that. You know, we've got a lot of engineers who will be listening to this podcast and a lot of makers, uh, often both. When you uh, joined the uh, um, Manor Hackers, was it the 3D printing um, sector that you felt drawn to, or did they reach out and, and find you somehow? Um, what, what is it That's about this NIST that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, my, uh, my origin story is actually um, – I personally come from none of this. Like I sing in rock bands, um, and I used to work in advertising. Um, mm-hmm. But like many, in uh, 2014, um, I started seeing stories about 3D printers, and I'm just, I just got fascinated. Um, I wish I had an engineering background. I wish I had a, 
um, uh, you know, I wish I had a degree in mechanical engineering, um, but I don't. I was uh, really drawn to the creative aspect of it. Um, I just had never really thought about the fact that any product that I have in my home or my office, like it started as a prototype and had to go through iterations. And then the fact that I thought, well, here's a machine that I could literally have in my house and I could make my own things. Like what even, I mean, like my brain exploded. Um, and I just, you know, went down the rabbit hole and started going to trade shows to learn what, learn what it was all about. And um, I met Matter Hackers and convinced them to give me a job because I'm in sales and that's what I do is I can I uh, see where the opportunities are and um, and and try to um, and try to see how I can help and uh, and it's just been it's been amazing I just had had my five year uh, anniversary at Matter Hackers and with 3D printing and uh, it's grown so much Matter Hackers has grown so much I was employee number 16. At that stage, huh. and we're uh, uh -huh. around right around the 50, uh, 50 mark right now. Sure. Um, based based in uh, Orange County, but we also have um, we have two warehouses, one in Orange County, one in Pennsylvania, so we can get your two day free shipping uh, anywhere in the country. Okay. And uh, and I just continue to be blown away by the applications of three D printing, um, everything from you know kindergarten classrooms to um, mass production, you know, of these 3D printed lamps, for example. Um, it's just, it's just fascinating. It is. We did our first cover story on 3D printing on the San Samito and Matter Hackers. I believe it was February 2015. Um, mm. And at, at that time, the more mature sector in 3D printing was the metal sector because aerospace really had an idea what they wanted to do with it. It was uh, the, 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 the carbon polymer side that was still uh, People were trying to figure out what the killer app would be, and, and I'm just struck by how this moment that we're living through right now, if people weren't persuaded of the versatility and immediacy of 3D printing that solve problems, uh, this moment's going to put those those questions to rest. This this is what 3D printing does best. That's exactly it, and and I agree with you. Like still to this day, the most fascinating things are are coming from you know the metals and you know the the industrial more industrial machines. But I think what's really um, amazing in the past five years is how far these desktop 3D printers have come um, with the, you know, it's, they're no longer just, you know, little toys for the garage that make little plastic things. Um, the fact mm -hmm. that you really can make functional, not just functional prototypes, but actual end-use parts um, in, you know, materials that are, that are so usable. I mean, you've got... Uh, major chemical companies like BASF and um, Dow and DuPont that are making 3D printing filaments um, for the same, you know, the, the same um, polymers that they previously were only available in, in injection molding. Uh, and okay. so you've got such a wide, yeah, I mean, this is like, you know, back six weeks ago, um, the usual yeah. conversation that I would have with people is like, yes, you can print nylon and carbon fiber on a $2,500 uh, 3D printer, and yes, you can print stainless steel that can then uh, be sent to um, to debinding and sintering, um, and come back as a full metal part on your $1,500 3D printer. Um, I mean, flexible materials. Uh, there's there's just there's a reason why we have over 2,000 SKUs of material, and Matter Hackers actually works directly with chemical companies um, to develop new materials for 
FDM, and we also have some some uh, inexpensive SLA 3D printers, um, you know, the resin 3D printers. We work with the chemical companies to develop materials in reaction to what we're hearing, you know, feedback that we get from our customers. And mm-hmm. our customers are, you know, aerospace, automotive, um, engineers in, um, I mean, pretty much every um, any, any uh, industry where they're making a thing. But then we also are working with um, visual effects and props and costumes um, and architecture. I mean, it's, it's, it's really literally almost every industry out there is using 3D printing for something or at least using 3D design for something. And if you're going to have a 3D design, you probably want to, you know, make, make it and be able to look at it and touch it, get feedback on right. it. Right. Well, and you've worked with some pretty heavy-hitting customers like this, and um, I won't ask you to name names, but I'm curious to know, uh, since we're still in this historical moment, we're six weeks in, um, what else have you heard about the way the manufacturers are responding to the pandemic? I mean, one story I've heard is that uh, uh, there has been a priority placed on safety in the sense that they're re-engineering the production lines to make sure there's six-foot distance between operators. That was their, fir- that was their first uh, uh, action item. Uh, sometimes they'll put plastic shields in between operator stations. Are you hearing stories about how these larger mid-sized small manufacturers are responding to the situation? You know, I haven't heard that much, but that makes sense. I mean, I know, for example, with our warehouse, um, you know, everybody's wearing gloves, everybody's wearing a mask, everybody, you know, now we have lots of face shields, so uh, you can wear the face shield. Um, keeping social distancing, um, cleaning. We've got, uh, you know, hand sanitizers all over the warehouses. Um, so it's just, um, it's just amazing the kinds of things that we have to think about now um, mm-hmm. that we didn't, we, we never thought we would think about. And I think it, I think it will probably change the way um, that uh, that manufacturing is done from now on, and the way that offices are set up and you know, hopefully the way that people think about their own health and how their health affects the health of people around them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just remember thinking, like, you know, whenever it's, you know, beginning of cold season, for example, it usually happens, like, twice a year, you know, in about, around January and around August. Like, one person comes in with a cold, and you're just like, oh, now everybody's going to get a cold, and everybody gets a cold, and it's just kind of accepted. Right. Why is that accepted? Why is that okay? <clears throat> Right. You know, it, it, it interrupts productivity. It, it, you know, people bring that back to their families. You know, what mm-hmm. can we do now that we've been forced to explore these new uh, or different ways of doing business, whether that's, you know, working from home, telecommuting, video conferencing, not traveling as much. You know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting to start to speculate what this is all going to look like and how much more productive um, – we could be when using these tools so that we are literally just not getting each other sick all the time, even just that basic thing. Right, right. You know, it's funny. The one KPI that uh, I'm pretty sure all of our listeners would know about their plans is the cost of a minute of downtime. And like you're saying, yeah. uh, it, it, it's going to get to the point, I believe, where organizations will take a look at the, the health aspects uh, of downtime and, as you say, make sure that something like a transmittable disease or a virus uh, gets factored into the bottom line and helps drive reliability going forward. You, you can't afford to be taken out like this again. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, I think everything's so, going to look differently. And I, and I do hope that um, 
you know, again, I wish I wish all of this were, you know, under better circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. But I do hope that people are seeing um, 3D printing and additive manufacturing in the news a lot more and that they start to understand the difference between, you know, for example, the, the, um, the test swabs that are being 3D printed and how that process and those, that, that um, level of materials and, and machines, how they differ than the machines that are, you know, doing the plastics that you may have at home or that, you know, your kids may have at the robotics class. And no, those are not appropriate for, you know, making surgical masks that are going to be approved by the FDA for actual surgeries. And no, those are not appropriate for the swabs, but they're super appropriate for something like um, a face, the visor for a face shield or um, these mask extenders that they're using now for the, to um, protect your ears for people that have to wear these N95 masks, you know, all, all day, every day. Um, so I'm hoping that, that that kind of starts to trickle out to the uh, general population and that there's a more of an understanding of not only did 3D printing not disappear in 2014, like a lot of people think that it did when the, you know, the fad was over, that we were all going to have one in our kitchen, right. that not only are they still around, but that they've been very useful in a lot of different applications and that you know, they, they could be useful for your hobby or for your business or for something that your kids are passionate about and that people start to really understand the capabilities and the limitations. Well, and we live in an area, too, where the local library has got a bank of 3D printers, and my kids yeah. are all under 10 years old, and now they take for granted that you go to a library, you find books and PCs and tablets and 3D printers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and that, that, that's the normal going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I love that when you think about the workforce training bit and, you know, how now, okay, so we're, you know, we're, we're doing this PPE thing. It's basically, you know, it's, it may not be the most efficient at manufacturing, but it's, it's domestic manufacturing. And, you know, we, with the workforce development and, and, you know, how we can start to bring creativity and bring manufacturing um, back to America or, you know, of course, your listeners know that it's already here. It's a matter of expanding mm-hmm. it. Um, and understanding where these desktop 3D printers fit in in that kind of um, in that whole realm, um, I think it's going to be very very interesting. And and the fact that you can go to your local library um, and get trained, you know, whether you're a young person or somebody that maybe wants to start a new career, or you're a veteran, um, or just you know a creative person that is looking for uh, for something else, for another way to, another outlet for your creativity. Um, libraries and training centers, they have 3D printers, they have sewing machines, they have CNC machines, they have um, recording booths to, you know, like do your podcast. People don't realize how much technology and how much creativity is really right at their fingertips. So true. Absolutely so true. Well, let me direct our listeners once again to your website, matterhackers.com. And if you want to know about the Maker Response Hub, there's a whole page set up uh, that's designed to get people to that area. Uh, it's matterhackers.com slash C-O-B-I-D hyphen 19. So, Mara, thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you so much, Tom. All right. And thanks for listening to the Tool Belt. We'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.